Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Do you like to listen? and the supernatural in Central Florida. It's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 178th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. On today's episode, we have a lot of things that we are very connected to, Denise. One of them being Hawaii, another being Elvis Presley. Yes, we are. And we even have some Disney films involved here. So it's going to be all around a great episode. And what we're going to do is not only share with you the history and hauntings of Cocoa Palms Resort, but this happens to be on the island of Kauai. And we are going to share some of the legends that you hear about there because there wasn't a lot in regards to hauntings when it comes to the actual resort. But one of the reasons why the resort is haunted is because of some of these legends. So we're going to talk about a lot of that. This location was suggested to us by our listener, Tracy Martin. Before we get into that, we want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Courtney. Hi, Courtney. Gunter. Hello, Gunter. Tyler. Hi, Tyler. Adrian. Hi, Adrian. Johnny. Hey, Johnny. Mick. Hello, Mick. Gareth. Hi, Gareth. And Maria. Hello, Maria. And Bob asked Maria if she was going to be a problem when she joined the crew. And I asked him if he was singing. You know, how do you solve a problem like Maria? Okay, now I get it. I was like (laughs) right over my head. I was like, huh? Well, I think Maria got it. So welcome to all of you. And now our moment in oddity. And this moment in oddity was suggested by Michael Rogers. The Grand Grimoire was written in 1520 A.D. Some know this work as the Red Dragon or the Gospel of Satan. It was discovered in the tomb of Solomon in 1750 and is written in either Biblical Hebrew or Aramaic. There was an apocryphal man named Honorius of Thebes that was attributed with the authorship of the Grand Grimoire. Some think that Pope Honorius I or Pope Honorius III were the actual Honorius of Thebes. The story goes that he was possessed by the devil when he wrote the manuscript. Somehow, the Catholic Church came into ownership of the four-part book and have it hidden in the Vatican's secret archives. Despite the fact that the public cannot see the book, 
Rumors abound about what it contains, and many say it contains proof of demonic evocation and occult spells. And one reason why the Vatican may want it hidden is that it reputedly details the process of how new popes are won over by Satan. The Grand Grimoire is used by practitioners of voodoo, and they call it Le Veritable Dragon Rouge. The term grimoire is used for books of magic, and this one is reputedly impervious to fire, cannot be cut, pierced, penetrated, torn, or in any other way damaged or destroyed. If this red dragon exists, the idea that the Catholic Church would hold on to the book rather than destroy it certainly is odd. you should be afraid of is the thing that watches you sleep. <laughs> and now, This Month in History. In the month of January, on the 1st, in 1801, Ireland joins Great Britain by the Acts of Union 1800, thus creating the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland. England and Wales were united in 1536, and Scotland was added in 1707. Before these acts, Ireland was under the lordship of the same monarch as Britain, but still retained its own boundaries and laws. The Irish Parliament resisted passage of the Acts. The first vote was defeated in the Irish House of Commons by 109 votes against, with only 104 for. Then the bribes came into the picture, via honors and peerages, and the second vote passed with 158 to 115. The Irish War of Independence was started because of a desire to establish an Irish Republic, and part of Ireland seceded from the United Kingdom, forming the Irish Free State in 1922. Today, the United Kingdom is separated from the European continent by the North Sea and English Channel and includes the countries of England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. The original Coco Palms Resort on the island of Kauai stands no more. It was demolished in 2016 and Hyatt is rebuilding a new resort in the footprint. For decades, the Coco Palms was a tropical island getaway for celebrities and people seeking a tropical location for their wedding. It also served as a setting for Elvis Presley's movie, Blue Hawaii. But long before a resort was built here, a coconut tree grove was planted, and even before that, this was the seat of the island's royal family for over 600 years. The legends told in Hawaii date back centuries, and this area is rich with them because of the former royal past and burial grounds nearby. Coco Palms was believed to be haunted by spirits, maybe even ancient ones, and these hauntings will more than likely continue at the new resort. Join us as we look at the history and legends of the island of Kauai and the history and hauntings of the Coco Palms Resort. Yeah, Denise, when I started doing the research on this one, some of the first articles that I came across were detailing the demolitions that were going on and that this had been abandoned. And I was like, oh, no, so it doesn't actually stand anymore. But based on the reasons why we have hauntings going on here, I have a feeling they're going to continue. But it is kind of sad to have seen this historic property go to waste. And we'll, we'll tell everybody why that happened. 
I know while you were researching this, it is on the island of Kauai, which is one of the islands you have not had the chance to go to, but I so want to take you there. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, you've been there, so I'm jealous. So hopefully I want to get you there because it's the Garden Island. And so you've been to Maui, you've been to Oahu, and they're both beautiful, but their beauty dims in comparison to Kauai. It's so pretty. Very cool. Well, not only is it the Garden Isle, but it also happens to be the oldest of all the Hawaiian islands. They estimate that it's about 6 million years old. And Denise, I always feel like when we're going to talk about the Hawaiian Islands, you were such a huge fan of James Michener. (laughs) And I remember you telling me when you were reading about Hawaii, when he was detailing how everything got formed, you're like, it takes some chapters and chapters where you have the fire and the water and the volcanoes and they all come together to form the islands. Yes, I mean, that's the one thing with James Michener is at the beginning of his books, he definitely details like the beginning Yeah, we kind of do the same thing here on History Goes Bump, just not quite as... Otherwise, you guys would be listening for about, I don't know, a year, and we'd finally get to the haunting part. (laughs) We'd be like, okay, and now that we had like the little bubbles coming up from the ocean floor... Well, what happens is you have the Pacific Plate, and it comes in over the volcanic Hawaii hotspot, and that's what they call it. And this is where all the volcanic activity started to happen, and that's what formed the island. It formed all of the islands, and as we know, there are still volcanoes on the islands that are erupting even to this day and endanger some of the people who live there. One of the fun things about the legends when it comes not only to Kauai, but also to Hawaii, is the mythology that surrounds Pele. And she is the goddess of fire, specifically volcanoes. And for anybody who saw the Disney movie Moana, you got to know Pele pretty well in that. Yes, and I have an absolutely gorgeous print of Pele that Auntie Cowie brought me back from the Merry Monarch Festival, which is a huge hula gathering in Hawaii. But it's really cool. It's right in my massage room where it is Pele coming out with all the all the flow of lava coming from her. It's, it's awesome. Now, there's a lot we can talk about when it comes to Pele, but we didn't really want to do that in this episode because there are a lot of haunted locations in Hawaii and We'd like to cover some of those as well, especially on Oahu. There is a huge list. So we will get into talking about Pele in a future episode in more detail. But suffice it to say that they believe that she basically was helping birth these islands. When people think of Kauai, you probably envision films like Jurassic Park and Pirates of the Caribbean. And the reason why is because those movies were filmed there. And it's because they have such a lush tropical area that it kind of takes you back to an older time and to when the earth was forming and back when the dinosaurs were around. You've got gorgeous blue waters and this endless expanse of white sand beaches. But there is far more to Kauai than just this beautiful scenery. It is also home to some very interesting sacred sites and legends. And one of these legends goes with a couple of our moment oddities that we shared over the last couple of episodes where we were talking about little people, Denise. Mm-hmm. Well, Hawaii has its own little people, too, specifically ones that lived on the island of Kauai, and they were known as Menehuni. They were mythical. Maybe, maybe not. We always leave it to you guys to decide. Supposedly what they would do is build fish ponds and aqueducts, and you can still see many of those to this day. Now, the Hawaiians shunned the Menahuni. We're not sure why, if it was because they were these little people or if there was something about them that they didn't like. So they would hide out in the tropical forests. And then they would come out at night from the forests and they would build these various creations and they would do it in just one night. That's how quick they were. 
And one of these that you can still see to this day is Alicoco, which is known as the Menihuni Fish Pond, and you can see this near Lahui. Hawaii Loa is the legendary discoverer of the Hawaiian Islands. He was a Polynesian navigator, and his favorite son was named Kauai, which is where the island gets its name. The name Kauai is thought to mean place around the neck. As an aside, the dialect of Hawaiian and Kauai was different originally, and there are some that still hold to that dialect, which had no K sound. It sounded more like T, so Kauai would have been Tawai'i. Hawai'i Loa accidentally stumbled on the islands, and he returned to his home to bring a group of settlers with him back to the islands. They landed on Hawai'i, which is named in his honor. This is legend, and the actual reality is that Polynesians from other islands traveled here and settled. I always think about the origins when it comes to the islands, and it's not just the Hawaiian islands, but any of these islands. Think about these people just getting in these boats, which were probably hollowed out trees, and sailing across the ocean, and you don't even know what's out there or what you're going to, and finding these islands out there. How terrifying. I can't even imagine. Well, especially when you look at how big of an expanse the Polynesian islands cover. Because it's not just Hawaii. It goes down to Fiji and Tuvalu. I mean, Samoa. That it's, it's a big amount. And they were just setting off on these, like you said, rafts, basically. And many of them would have been coming up from, you've got Australia and New Zealand. And then they could be coming over from Asia as well. So, yeah, I can't even imagine. That would just terrify me. Captain James Cook was a British explorer and navigator, and he was reputed to be the first European to discover the islands, and that he called them the Sandwich Islands. This was in honor of the sixth Earl of Sandwich, George Montague, who was also the financier, so it only makes sense that he would name them for him. Cook landed in Waimea Bay, and as we have featured on a previous This Day in History, Captain Cook came to his ultimate demise at the hands of the Hawaiians after taking advantage of them and allowing them to believe he was a god. You know, this is just kind of a fun fact, but I was just looking. It was in honor of the sixth Earl of Sandwich. And then when you said his name, I believe at Earl of Sandwich, which is a sandwich shop at Disney Springs, one of their sandwiches is called the... Montagu or something like that. I think you're right. And that's what the Earl of Sandwich is named for, I think is for specifically him. So how fun. King Kamehameha reigned during the late 17th century and early 18th century. He pulled all the islands into his kingdom of Hawaii, but Kauai resisted along with Ni'ihau. This is where the Ni'ihau shells come from. Denise, before you continue, I thought it would probably be neat for you to share your story about your Nihihau shells and maybe explain to the listeners who don't know anything about them just how precious these really are. They're as precious as gems. The island of Nihihau, only native Hawaiians are allowed to go there. And so one of their commerce is there's these little tiny delicate shells of all these different colors, kind of like the reds and beiges and stuff, but they put them together and make beautiful lays and jewelry, earrings, necklaces. In fact, I believe the Smithsonian even had a big collection of the Niihau shells, but they're just a very, very beautiful shell jewelry from Hawaii. And so anyway, Niihau shells are very similar to tradition like we would have in America where a mother might pass down her strand of pearls to her daughter. Well, a lot of the mothers in Hawaii pass down their Niihau shells to their daughter, and they're just absolutely gorgeous. My mom, many of you know that I lost my mom. God, it's been almost six and a half years ago. She loved jewelry. She loved shopping for jewelry. And we were going through some of their stuff. And we had the chest that was kind of like the, 
I hate to say it, but kind of the junk jewelry, like the costume, costume jewelry yeah. and stuff like that. And it was just going to go off to Goodwill. And so I was looking through it because I wanted to find Grandmaster Seraph wanted some fun earrings that my mom used to have because she had earrings that matched all her bathing suits for water aerobics and stuff. <laughs> and so um, she wanted a pair of earrings. So I was going through that and I opened this this box and I saw this, these beautiful shell necklaces and earrings and everything. So I told my, I'm like, oh, wow, I, I'm dancing hula now and these are really pretty and I have like Hawaiian dresses. I asked my siblings, I said, does anybody care if I take these? These are really pretty. And they're like, no, go ahead and have them. We don't care. And then I found a receipt. And back in the 70s, when when the, the lay of these shells was purchased, it was not cheap at that time for sh- for like what you would think shell jewelry. At first, I'm thinking these are like off of a beach, you know, whatever, nine ninety nine, five bucks. <laughs> 20 bucks, maybe. <laughs> Three for 15, you know, one of those deals. And I'm like, so I told my, my siblings, I said, I think these shells might be a little bit more than what we're thinking they are. And they were like, well, we don't want them. If you want them, take them. And, and so I was like, okay. So I took them and I brought them home with me. And I found a little card in there that told the story of the Niihau shell. And so all these shell lays and necklaces and earrings and bracelets that I'd found were actually Niihau shells. So I brought them to Hula the next week and showed them. And one of the ladies who dances with me has a collection of Niihau shells. So she came over and she said, oh yeah, that's definitely what they are. And so it was kind of neat without even meaning to. I fell into, I've always been in love with the Polynesian culture. And then, so of course, when I came to Disney and got placed at Disney's Polynesian Village Resort and then met Auntie Cowie and started dancing hula, it was kind of like my dream come true to be involved with this culture even more so than just on the outside. And so the fact that my mother basically left her Niihau shells to me was just kind of a full circle. It was really, really cool. So, And Denise isn't saying the amount, but just for this one necklace in particular, $2,000, just to let you guys know how precious these shells are. So that's how rare they are. Yeah, they're, they're, I wear them to like to just like hoike and very special gatherings um, that we have for hula. I don't just wear them around day to day basis because they are they're beautiful and I would just be heartbroken if anything happened to them. Well, what was really neat is you see Auntie Cowie as a mother figure for you. Yes, and you ended up giving her one of those necklaces, so that was really neat. Yeah, I I, I passed I passed on one of the sets that I'd gotten to her because she's just such an amazing woman, and it was neat to be able to pass on something that my mother kind of in a sense left to me that I got from my mom, and then to be able to give her some some as well was really cool. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author, and I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, so now back to the history. King Kamehameha is trying to bring all the islands back together under his rule. But the ruler of Kauai and Niihau, who was Kaumali'i, pushed back for years. King Kamehameha tried twice to take the islands by force with a huge armada of ships and canoes, and he failed both times. Kamuali'i finally decided that he didn't want any more bloodshed, and he conceded and became King Kamehameha's vassal in 1810. 
He ceded the islands to the kingdom of Hawaii upon his death in 1824. The last reigning monarch of the kingdom of Hawaii was Queen Liliuokalani. She was overthrown in 1893. And there's a lot of people in Hawaii today that are still fighting for the monarchy to come back. The property where the Coco Palms Resort was built has a coconut grove planted from coconut tree nuts that were imported from Samoa by a businessman named William Lindemann. He did this in 1896. It is in the Wailua area that is near Now Now Mountain, which is also known as the Sleeping Giant and rises about 1,200 feet. The Wailua area is culturally, spiritually, and historically significant and in close proximity to three of the most important historical heiau on Kauai. Heiau are temples. A Hawaii structure could be a small house surrounded by a wooden fence or a stone wall enclosure surrounding multiple houses or a massive open-air temple with terraces and large stone platforms. Ruling chiefs would pay homage to the Hawaiian gods in these temples. The name Wailua is believed to mean spirits, so that should tell us a little bit something about this area where they built the Cocoa Palms Resort. It is near the Lahui International Airport and approximately five minutes from the town of Kapa'a, which was recognized as one of America's prettiest towns by Forbes magazine in 2013. The property beneath the Coco Palms Resort was the ancestral home of Kauai's royalty and home to Kauai's last remaining queen, Queen Deborah Kapule Kekahiha Akaulu, in the mid-19th century. She died in 1853. It had been their home for 600 years. The developers of the resort kept this all in mind when designing the resort, and it was billed as the epitome of exotic Hawaiian tiki luxury. Perhaps they should have thought a little bit harder about the fact that the legendary walk known as the King's Trail is nearby. The Ili'i spirits follow the King's Trail in the afterlife. Ili'i is the term used for nobility or kings, so these are the spirits of the royalty. The Royal Bell Stone is where Kauai's rulers were blessed prior to their births, and that is at the corner of the property. Ancient burial sites are all around the grounds and are on the grounds. Kind of like having a Native American burial ground. This did not detract the developers, and they opened the resort on January 25, 1953. The name Cocoa Palms refers to the coconut palm tree groves. There were 24 rooms with two guests and four employees on that opening day, so they only managed to get two people to come stay. The wedding chapel that is on the property, or was until it was demolished, was donated by Metro Goldwyn Mayer to Cocoa Palms in the mid-1950s after using it in the film Miss Sadie Thompson, which starred Rita Hayworth. Grace Guslander became manager and the resort grew under her leadership to 416 rooms by the mid-1970s. She also kept the coconut grove expanding as she hosted akua, which means replenishment, and these ceremonies entailed planting new coconut trees. This opportunity was offered to celebrities and notable people like Hawaiian Olympic swimming champion Duke Kahanamoku, the Von Trapp family singers, Bing Crosby, and the Prince and Princess of Japan. And I'm not real familiar with Duke's last name. That's just what everybody calls him on Hawaii is Duke. So I don't, I'm not real familiar with how you say his last name. That's the only way I've ever known him. I was really big into surfing when I was a teenager, and I had a whole book about him. He was quite the hero for me. Something that also helped the expansion and popularity of the resort was the Elvis Presley movie Blue Hawaii, which was filmed at the resort in 1961. Elvis fell in love with Hawaii and he stayed at the resort many times in the same bungalow, number 56. It was a small little suite with a front room, one bedroom, and a bathroom that had a shell sink. 
Outside was a lava rock shower that used to be screened by a bamboo fence. In the movie, he gets married at the resort, and Coco Palm soon became a popular place for couples to get married. They did about 500 ceremonies a year. The ceremonial torchlighting ceremony that was the call to feast and took place every night at 7.30 p.m. was featured in the film as well. There was also a scene featuring conch shell blowing as a greeting. Throughout the movie, Elvis and many lay-draped women danced on the beach, surfed, and ran among the resort's coconut groves. Now, it seems these practices were probably pretty traditional, Denise, because you guys do them at the Polynesian Village Resort, right? Absolutely. So every night, Tuesday through Saturday at 6 p.m., we have a torch lighting ceremony as well. And so it's really cool. If you're ever around at that time, I would definitely check it out. By 1984, the number of rooms at the resort was reduced to 393. In August 1985, Wailua Associates acquired the resort from the Guslander Amfat Group. Things went well for the resort until September 11, 1992. Isn't that a unique date? Jeez. When Hurricane Iniki struck the island of Kauai and closed the resort for good. Hurricane Iniki caused $1.2 billion in damage. What ended up happening is there was so much damage on the islands, the insurance companies at that time were just inundated and they didn't have enough money to pay out really for everything. And so this property, there was like nothing they could do. And there was this battle going back and forth in the courts. And it took such a long amount of time that basically the jungle took back everything. Looters came in and took things out of the rooms and vandals came through and destroyed things. So this property just stood vacant. And then a fire broke out on July 4th, 2014 and damaged the resort further, particularly the main house. Because this is set up like the Polynesian Village Resort, Denise, where they have the main longhouse and then you had a lot of little bungalows around it. And so the main longhouse was just totally taken out. A long planned demolition finally commenced in June of 2016 with plans for Hyatt to build a new resort to open in the first quarter of 2018. I've also seen 2017, but based on the fact that they were just starting to get it demolished in the middle of 2016 and how long these things take, probably 2018 when it's, is when it's going to open again. If we have any listeners who are around that area, we'd love to know how things are going. If you've seen what's going on there, I wasn't able to find anything that was more recent. So I just know that they'd moved in big equipment and were starting to demolish. And that was the last that I'd heard. Now, before this demolition, developers Chad Waters and Tyler Green, who both were part of the Coco Palms Hui LLC, decided that they wanted to try to save as many relics of the former resort as they could. And some of these relics include the first footprint. They wanted to save the original square footage and the site plan. So they want this resort to be kind of designed and planned out the same way as the previous one was. So there was a lot of selective demolition going on. Green said, our mantra on this has been to honor the past and celebrate the future. The total renovation is projected to cost $135 million and the new Hyatt will have 331 rooms, 32 bungalows, three restaurants, banquet facilities, and more on a 46-acre lot of land. There are plans for a community center featuring the area's native culture, history, and arts as well. Wow, the community center sounds super cool. And I have on here, Denise, I found when I was looking at images, there was this cool little... I don't know if it was like a drink board that they used to have there, but some of the drinks that they offered there were called the Coconut Willy. <laughs> and this was an excellent drink, according to them, for $1.75. There was also the Cocoa Palms Pineapple Julep. 
<laughs> so I thought that was neat. You got the cocoa banana daiquiri, the pick me up Charlie and the flame and torch. So I thought that was kind of fun. Very fun. We discussed earlier the ancient burial grounds and sacred spots near the resort property and how that might affect the energy in the area. The property was very creepy before it was demolished and stood abandoned for many years. Tours were offered and we have a link in the show notes to a video if you want to see it pre-demolition. Stories of the hotel being haunted date back to when it was a popular resort. As we mentioned, Elvis liked to stay in Bungalow 56, and this is where his apparition has been seen after his death in 1977. No one saw a spirit after the hurricane damaged the resort. The interesting thing, though, is that his bungalow was untouched. As for other ghosts connected to the resort, we could find nothing. But there are other supernatural and strange creatures connected to this area, meaning that they will likely still be around after the rebuild. One of those creatures is the kupua, which is basically a Hawaiian goblin. They play tricks on people. This seems relatively tame, but not all kapua are nice. Kauai's most famous kapua is Akua Pehuali. He is known to have a taste for human flesh and even ate some of his own followers. Yeah, so you don't want him playing any tricks on you, Denise. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I won't be tempting that spirit at all. Some of you listeners may have heard of Hawaii's night marchers. These are pretty well known when it comes to legends. They're named for what they do, and that is march. That marching is usually accompanied by ghostly drum beats. And sometimes people don't necessarily see the night marchers, but they do hear the drum beats. These ghostly apparitions travel in bands and appear to be carrying ancient weaponry and wearing helmets and cloaks. So they're thought to be some kind of warrior. They're seen on all the Hawaiian islands, and in Kauai, they are seen at Hanapepi. And a little fun fact, Denise, that I thought you would find interesting is the buildings that are featured in the movie Lilo and Stitch were taken from Hanapepi. So they just drew what that town looks like. Oh, that's very fun. It's supposed to be a cute little quaint place. These night marchers are also said to carry torches raised high and to say olis, which are chants. They are very rarely seen during the day, which is why they are referred to as night marchers. And they float a few inches off the ground. And sometimes, even though they're floating above the ground, they leave these mysterious footprints after they've passed. Some say they are here to avenge their deaths, and other people claim they are searching methodically for an entrance into the afterlife. High-ranking Ali'i, ruler, spirits are seen walking the king's trail. They are occasionally mistaken as night marchers, but they are usually seen as individuals. They are thought to be restless spirits looking to reclaim their rightful territory. Now, if you happen to see a ghostly procession of night marchers, what should you do? Do not interrupt the procession. And try not to rest your eyes on them and crouch low so that you will not be seen. Even play dead. Because if you are seen or they catch you watching them, a grim fate awaits you. Their glance is reputed to be deadly. I'm telling you, I think I would hit the deck anyway. If you see these ghostly warriors and you hear these drum beats marching along, I don't think I'd want them to see me. And just the fact that they have this idea that if you look at them and they see you looking at them or they see you, doesn't seem to me like this is some kind of a residual haunting. Nope, it definitely seems intelligent. But when it comes to the King's Trail, I'm thinking that probably is residual because these Ali'i spirits would climb that when they were living. 
And there was probably a lot of emotions connected to that because you were climbing up to become the king, which reminds me, I don't know how many people have seen Moana, but there is a scene in that movie where she's climbing up to put her rock at the top of the mountain. So I'm wondering if it's something similar to this. Very much so, because I think they tried to take a lot. I know a lot of uh, Moana when I talked to Auntie Cowie about it, reflected a lot of Samoa, but you're going to take a lot of the Polynesian culture and traditions are going to be similar as you're doing different things. So I'm thinking it's very similar. The, the thing I liked about that movie is it did seem like it incorporated a lot of different Polynesian. We even saw stuff that was kind of Maori to us. Yeah, which interesting fact on that, because it, it looks at one point like perhaps the haka was being done. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to a a lady I work with named Sheila, and she's married to a man from Samoa. And they actually in Samoa also have what they call a slap dance. So it could have been the haka or it could have been the slap dance. But again, that's kind of that blending of cultures, like which is which. Exactly, because he did the whole thing where he was hitting his chest and especially the tongue sticking the tongue out Mm -hmm. and down. Another ghost tale we heard that originates in Kauai is connected to Chiefus Kamakahela Middle School near Lahui. This queen ruled from 1770 to 1794. She married the ruler of Niihau, and so it was at this time that Kauai and Niihau came under rule together. Their son was Kamuali'i. So if you think back to when we were talking about the history just a little while ago, this is why Kauai and Niihau were under rulership together, because his mother married his father, and they both were, his mom was in charge of Kauai, and his dad was in charge of Niihau, and since they married each other, those both came under the rulership of both of them, and then their son inherited the rulership that was over them, and he was the one who eventually became King Kamehameha's vassal back in 1810. So that kind of brings that history full circle for you, but this school was named for his mother, And there was this train that used to pass through where the school is located today. And it is said that a lady in white, here's our lady in white, Denise, on Hawaii in Kauai. Yes, we have to have one everywhere. (laughs) She's been seen as though she's waiting for the train to arrive. And the story goes that this woman used to wait at the track every day for the train. And then one day she accidentally fell onto the track and was hit by the train. So that's Mm. why she's here now. So are the night marchers real or just legend? Was the former Cocoa Palms Resort haunted? Could the new Hyatt Resort be haunted when it opens? That is for you to decide. Well, Denise, any chance to go to Hawaii, I'm going to take it. I don't care if I'm visiting whatever that new Hyatt is or whatever. I I definitely want to go there and maybe not go hiking in the middle of the night. I don't want to see any night marchers. No, I definitely want to go because I still want to go to the big island of Hawaii and see the Volcanoes National Park, too. So... A trip to the islands is definitely in our future, for sure. And I did also want to say we tried as closely to be as true to the to the language as we could. I'm fairly familiar with the language, but not I'm not a native speaker of Hawaiian. So I just want to say if we messed up, if we messed up any words, it was no disrespect meant to any of the islanders because I absolutely love all of you and your culture. But we we did try to do it justice with kind of our mainland accent. So I hope we did okay. On our next episode, we are going to be checking out UC Berkeley, which happens to be a university that is quite haunted. As we found, there's a lot of universities out there that have hauntings going on. This one was suggested to us by our listener, Kat. So we're looking forward to bringing that to you. 
We'd love to have you guys check out our website, historyghostbump.com. Denise, if people want to send us feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. What'd you think of Rhonda's intro there? <laughs> Speaking of lady in white. I loved her intro. And it was really funny because she was kind of hesitant to give one. And then it came through and we were just like, oh, that is so, so great. So thank you, Rhonda. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed that. We've gotten a lot of great feedback on the Virginia City episode, Denise. People really enjoyed that one in the roundtable. And they said that I did okay with the editing. So thanks, guys, for letting me know that because I was a little bit worried because trying to put three different interviews all together and have it make sense was was a lot of fun. Let me just put it that way. It was a lot of fun and a lot of hours. And my mom listened to it and she said, gosh, you keep bringing all these memories back to me. She heard us talking about the picture about the Silver Queen and she went, oh my gosh, I have seen that. Even though I have not been to Virginia City, I know I've seen that. She went back through some of her old stuff and lo and behold, she has postcards that her grandmother, which would have been my great grandmother, had sent her when they visited Virginia City. And there's the Silver Queen on one of them. And these were back from the 1950s. And so these are very cool cards. Yeah, that that's super, super cool that she just bring these things out of archive. It's like we have our own little little museum here. So next time I'm over at their house, I'll take some pictures and put them up on Instagram and over in the Spooktacular crew so everybody can see them. Darren also posted on the fan page about that episode. What a fun show on Virginia City. I'm from Sparks, Nevada, which is only 40 minutes from BC. We take the kids every summer. Even in the daylight, that old dust ball of a Nevada town can be a bit weird. All the info on John Mackey still after all these years lives on in Reno at UNR. The football stadium is called Mackey Stadium, and I believe the school is called the Mackey School of Mining. Then we have a couple of iTunes reviews to share with everybody. First up is Lee23060, Perfect Blend 5 Stars. Just Enough History with Just Enough Scare, hosted by two of the friendliest podcasters on the air. My wife and I enjoy visiting historical sites and learning the legends and lore. Now, during the winter months, we can do it from the comfort of our art and craft room. Keep up the good work. Our only regret is that we came so late, got a lot of catching up to do. Well, thank you so much for that, Lee. And a lot of people get bummed when they run out of shows. So I guess just be happy you have a lot of shows to listen to. Then we also heard from Patty Wanker. <laughs> Gotta love that name. Paranerd and History Nerds come together. And this is four stars. If you're into ghost stories and historical facts, this show is for you. These two lovely ladies bring about fun, spooky facts and historical facts, too. Whether you believe in ghosts or not, you will enjoy the show. Keep up the great work, ladies. I even became a patron of the show. Well, thank you so much for that, Patty. And I have a feeling if he's using the term paranerd, he came over from Big Seance Podcast. So thanks to Patrick for putting us out there. Yes. So yes, because Patrick is the king of the paranerds. And then we also have another review from across the pond over in the UK. This is from Big Holly. Friendly little chat of a podcast, five stars. Great fun, very informative and friendly. Everything is well researched and put over in a knowledgeable and intelligent way. The two hosts have great chemistry and you can tell they love the subject. Been binge listening for weeks now and can't wait for each new episode. Well, thank you so much for that, Big Holly. We want to thank you guys for tuning into this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producers, Sarah Parrott, Dylan McNamara, Teresa Rowland, and Amanda Prouty. Thanks. Sweet dreams.
Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.